<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode 168 with my guest, Kira. This episode is sponsored by PillPack, the pharmacy that delivers convenient pre-sorted meds right to your door. It takes all the stress out of getting it refilled. And you can support the Mental Illness Happy Hour just by checking out their website. It's PillPack.com slash happy hour. Might be the first pharmacy you actually like using. And the first month is free when you visit PillPack.com slash happy hour. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for the show is mentalpod.com. It's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And uh, go check out the website. You can uh, read blog posts uh, by myself, by other people. You can join the forum. You can take surveys. You can uh, read how other people filled out surveys. Um, and you can support the show uh, financially, which uh, means a great deal to me. Um, before we get to the interview with Kira, just want to read... Um, Two emails. This first one is from Vicky, and she writes, I just wanted to let you know that I tried dialing 211 from my cell phone, and it does work. I'm in Alaska, by the way, so I don't need to get a landline, so I no longer have to uh, have an excuse to not find out what services are offered. Uh, I was just curious if it would work. Nowadays, a lot of people don't have a landline, so I thought it might work. Just thought I'd let you know so you could pass it on. Thank you. Oh, and then she puts in parentheses, or you can go fuck yourself. I may choose the latter been a while since I fucked myself. And then this is uh, from a guy who calls himself um, Charlie. And he writes, holy crap, these mini episodes with Dr. Guy Winch have been fantastic. While every episode is all sorts of deep, insightful, and touching, this series of podcasts have been especially relatable to me. A 24-year-old millennial guy who's been flailing about trying to become a normal adult since graduating co college. Topics of loneliness, rejection, and self-esteem hit especially hard. I feel like guys my age aren't really supposed to feel alone. We're not supposed 
to uh, experience terrifying and crippling anxiety when it comes to rejection. And my st- self-esteem issues come from a body image problem, and that's definitely something that guys in their 20s aren't exactly supposed to take issue with, right? We're the spoiled, rotten children of the 90s who just need to grow the fuck up, right? Something like that. But I do feel these things, and I've never felt more alone than I do now. I'm afraid of being rejected. I don't like the way I look. Maybe there are other people who feel the same way. My point is, I think that these mini-episodes were exactly what I've needed to hear. Thank you for making them, and keep on making this fantastic podcast. Thank you so much, Charlie. And I wrote back and I said, Charlie... I think a ton of guys feel just like you do. Um, I just want to read this quote. This is from Samuel Smiles. Oh, you know it's going to be positive it's for, if, it, if it's from him. And he writes, We often discover what we'll do by finding out what we'll not do. And probably he who never made a mistake never made a discovery. Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> like this. I'm here with, uh, she's going to call herself Kira. And um, mm-hmm. so she can speak more freely. And her uh, her friend is also here with us. Do we, do we want to give you a pseudonym or do you want to use your, your first name? Um, you can use my first name. Okay. We're, we're here with her friend Tyler as well. And they just drove in. We're at uh, the L.A. Podfest. We're uh, up here recording in my, my hotel room. And um, we emailed a couple of times uh, back and forth and... Refresh my my memory. I I know um, from your email. I remember thinking, oh, we should definitely record. There there sounds like some, there there's some. Yeah, I emailed you just to put myself out there. I was like, do you want to get coffee or we can talk or whatever? And then I kind of just told you a bunch of stuff about mm-hmm. me. Like, so here's my history and yeah. Um, should I just where should where should we start? Where are you from? Uh, how old are you? I'm 29. And uh, where are you from originally? Alaska. Um, That's right. Yeah, Anchorage, Alaska. What was that like growing up in in Alaska? I always fantasize about it, and then I think, oh, no, the winters are brutal. That would be terrible living up there. Yeah, it's. uh, I loved it. I loved it there. And I always, I don't know, I always tell people to go if you can. Um, And you just dress for the weather. Uh, But I don't know. I was a kid. I, I moved to Las Vegas when I was 11, so I had, like, my childhood there. And um, <clears throat> I loved it. I just remember, I mean, it was beautiful. And I remember playing outside, um, you know, and the sun always set um, late, like in the summer. So I would be able to play outside later. And I remember that. And like going to sleep with it's still light outside. I mean, pe- kids love summer to begin with, but I can't imagine how much kids love summer in it Alaska. It was awesome. 
It was awesome. What did your parents do? Um, my dad's a petroleum engineer, so that's why we were at, we were out there. Um, and my mom mostly stayed at home with us. So your family, uh, I'm guessing, had some money. You weren't. Yeah, we were okay. We were definitely. I remember. Yeah, my my mom would say we were middle class. I guess. And she told me that one day. And, and there, <laughs> okay. and there was there wasn't the worry about oh, dad's out of work again. How are we gonna? I mean, there was stability, financial stability. There was stability, yeah, yeah, financial stability for sure. We, I mean, I grew up. We grew up. Um, we stayed in the same house for the the whole time we were there. Um, it was a house. We were like right on the edge of some mountains, like a forest. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it was. It was. Nice. I grew up on the edge of a forest too, and I loved it. Yeah, it was you such can a go great back place. There oh. And make forts and hide. Play hide and go seek. Yeah. And- when you started getting high, that was where we, you know, that <laughs> fort changed from being a place you looked at Playboys to a place that you. you that know. was probably my brother. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, I have like an older brother. He's like four and a half years older than me. And I remember like, yeah, I, would, I found, I don't know, they're either pictures or just like so, some sort of evidence. Like you were totally smoking weed out here. Yeah. I can say stuff like that, right? Oh, yeah. Say, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> That's where we kept our bong and our, and our weed. Uh, no, actually we kept, we, we didn't trust, uh, keeping our weed out there because we thought somebody's going to steal it but we thought oh we can keep our bong out there and then somebody stole our bong (laughs) (laughs) i was so pissed i was so pissed but i just remember the the feeling of freedom of getting on my bike and riding through the woods to this fort and just sitting there and just getting so loaded with my friends and it just felt it was so dense and lush in there that um you couldn't see beyond like six feet yeah. and it just felt like you were in your own world so i can't imagine times that pie a thousand that's what it must have been like for you it in alaska was, it was sometimes yeah w- was your family were you outdoors people yeah like we took a lot of camp- camping trips and um where I, do you go camping when you live in uh, in alaska just like a mile like away down the street yeah uh no we took so many like drives i mean sometimes those uh, those are things that I remember for sure. I don't remember like a whole lot, but that's what I remember. I remember the camping trips and I remember um, like long drives. Um, sometimes we would just go for drives because it, I mean, the, the scenery was awesome um, along the Alaskan coast. And um, yeah, I remember listening to music and just going on drives and fishing. My dad liked to go fishing. Are there fond memories of uh, the camping and the driving and all that stuff? Are they fond? Yeah, what I remember is uh, it's really just like being outside. Like I don't really remember like my family so much, which is weird. <laughs> I'm the same way. I remember just enjoying my time like by myself, doing whatever I wanted to do, um, like exploring, I guess. Yeah. So give me some snapshots from from childhood. Um. Oh, well. I guess, um, you know, a lot of it from, like, Alaska, you mean? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it could also be from when you were living in Las Vegas as well, but just things that made an impression um, on you. Tyler, if you want to put your, your, your feet up here. Kick back. Um, that's hard to pick out. Well, I mean, I don't know, for the show's sake, I mean, I remember, like, one... Um, instance going we used to go back to um texas a lot like san antonio 
and uh, Laredo. Both of my parents' families live there. Like, all of my relatives live there, basically. And, um, you know, I just remember one time going, and there was, like, there was an incident with my, an uncle. And um, so that kind of stuck out to me. I remember going there once and not, you know, really wanting to go back um, anymore. And uh, And that's one thing that's kind of, like, carried with me throughout my adult life because it's been really confusing it's like very cloudy and it's uh like i like how you talk and hear a lot about um like that gray the gray areas and um because i really i really struggled with that like why did you struggle with it because the memory was hazy or what how you felt about it was gray both uh the memory was hazy and how i felt about it was like nothing it was like i had no um i don't really have any emotional connection to it whatsoever it's so weird but um you know i remember writing that down um we had moved here to las vegas or we're not in las vegas right now um but we moved to las vegas when i was 11 and they opened up a coffee shop Um, and I just remember sitting out front of the coffee shop and I like, I wrote it down on a little piece of paper. It was like just this memory. And, um, and then I crumpled it up and threw it in the trash and, um, yeah. And that was, and then it just like, it came up later as I like started getting into treatment. It was asked to me in a specific way like the counselor that asked me about it, he just like pointed to it on a piece of paper, like has anything like this happened? And it was like sexual abuse. And, um, you know, for some reason him not saying those words, I was like, you know, I nodded my head. And um, Did it help that he didn't use those words? Yeah, I think so, because I had seen therapists before and, um, you know, that like the, every, all of the intakes are the same. You know, they ask you all the questions about childhood and stuff and, so he's like, nope, I'm good. Childhood was great. Um, was it because you didn't want to use that word because it would have been too big and too painful? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with the that's the thing. I, I mean, even like the painful thing, it's so hard for me to connect to any kind of feeling about it. You know, there's kind of like fear there. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's a feeling, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. What what did you write down when you were 11, if you're comfortable sharing it? Sure. Um, yeah, I could share it. Um, I just remember, like, him picking me up. And this is this is why it's weird. It's, like, kind of shoddy. And, and how old were you when this happened? And who, who was – he was your uncle. Was he your mom's brother, your dad's brother? My mom's brother. And how old was he? He's my mom. He's actually the oldest child of like eight of them. Um, so if my mom was in her thirties, maybe he was like late late forties or 50, early fifties or something like that. Um, yeah, but it, you know it, it's so weird because like I remember my mom being there. I remember being handed off to him. And you said so you I was were how small old? enough to like be held, which is that's the other thing. Like I can't really. It's hard to remember how old I was. I was probably like five or six or four or four or five or six. Okay. And um, 
So, yeah, I mean, probably younger, probably like four or five, because if I was that, like, I feel like I was small, like a small person. And, uh, you know, she handed me off and then he like, he kissed me, my mouth, like I felt like his wetness in my mouth. Um, and then like a little while later, you know, this, you know, it's kind of like shoddy. Um, I remember him like throwing me on the bed and it was kind of like a playful thing, like how that might be like fun. You throw a kid on a bed. And, um, so that was like all fine and well enough. And then I remember him being on top of me and moving up and down. Um, and I remember I couldn't breathe. I remember that. And that's kind of it. It must have been t- terrifying for a little kid to have yeah, such a large, old Yeah, that's what it was. Person. <laughs> it was like, I this mean, guy is big and I can't breathe and oh my god sorry I laugh about it like because I it's not I know it's not funny but I just I'm so I don't know what else to do about that you know the first time uh, I started making jokes about stuff that's happened to me um it felt really good yeah it felt really good to to joke about it because um I mean, I I wouldn't make that joke in front of somebody that hadn't been through something because I would think that they would either not get it or think I was weird for finding something funny about that. I don't find the issue funny. Right. But I find some of the circumstantial things yeah about things like that funny like i made a joke when i interviewed ronnie schiller um she had was you know dating quote dating you know basically being molested by Mm -hmm. when she was like i don't want to say like 14 by a guy who was like 19 she might have even been 12 Mm -hmm. and uh he had a van with the boston guitar logo on the side of it the band boston and i just remember us both laughing saying that he should do it additional time for driving that van you know in addition to that and we both (laughs) laughed really hard and that kind of those are the moments that to me feel like i'm hugging that other person because it's like you know i feel you because i feel safe enough I know you feel safe enough with me that I can say this so you know I really feel you. Yeah. And those are those are the moments I th- I think we we starve for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely and um too it's like for so long I I mean I did struggle with that for so long and you know it wasn't funny for like you know whenever you are struggling with something like that it's like it's the least funniest thing so it's just like blind rage or blaming yourself did you ever blame yourself yeah i had a little bit of that how how could how could you as a four-year-old or a five-year-old even a six-year-old even as a Mm 16-year-old and i'm saying this hypothetically but in your instance how could how could you Blame yourself. How did you play that sick card that we all do? Um, well, 
I mean, man. I mean, I blame myself a little bit. Um, I don't really know how. I mean, it was just, I could I could feel that, though. But, I mean, the way that that um, played out for me was really, I had I struggled a lot with, like, doubting the whole experience and telling myself that I made it up. Like, you made it up, you made it up, you made it. Like, how sick is that? Like, how sick are you that you're making this stuff up? Um, why would you want that to happen? Like, you wanted that to happen. Um, stuff like that is what I really struggled with for a long time. Um, and what did you tell yourself when you said, why would I Why would I make that up? Why would I want that to have happened to me? Because um, I'm just a weirdo. I'm a sicko. Um I'm perverted, I'm evil, all of those things. I really thought I was evil for a long time. How so? Um, because of your thoughts or your actions? Probably mostly thoughts and, you know, I've been, yeah, I've been like, I've been in therapy for a while too and um, there was a lot of questionable stuff with my actions also that, um, that I felt a lot of shame about and that I was like, there is just like, what the hell is wrong with me that I'm doing this? Can you, can you be more specific? <clears throat> yeah. Um, like I had, I just had, um, the way that I look at it is like my boundaries are very blurred and very messed up. Um, it's, it's a lot better now, <laughs> but, um, I would say like growing up, like I just didn't know boundaries very did, well with your, other kids. Did your parents have boundaries with you? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. They were, I mean, like physically or like emotionally? Both. Um, yeah, I guess so. I never really thought about that. Um, in other words, did, did they, um, respect your autonomy over your feelings, your body, your personal space? Your opinions on things, you know? Oh no! <laughs> okay, kids. No. All right, because then that—that's yeah. bad. That's bad boundaries. Like, oh. ki like kids should feel that my body is not here for you to touch or to barge in on the bathroom mm -hmm. on me, and to um, if I'm feeling an emotion, um, know it's safe to feel that emotion and not have you tell me that what I'm feeling is wrong. Um, to not have to hear you complain about your husband or wife to me or share the details of your life as if I'm a, a peer of yours mm. when I'm a, when I'm a child. Those are, those are the, the big boundaries that I see getting crossed and were crossed in by my mom in, in my life yeah. and that I thought was just meant, Oh, I'm a, I'm a great guy. Cause she trusts me mm. with this stuff and she loves me because that's why she's always pinching my ass and, you know, telling me this and that. And then I came to find out in therapy that those things are not appropriate. Right. And my therapist helped me get into my body and ask me how I felt. And I went, Oh, I hate it. Wow. I hate it. So, what were before we get to the stuff with you and other kids yeah what were some of the boundaries that weren't respected in in your family or is that hard to to say it is kind of hard to say um you know it wasn't so much um like physically i think i had that 
privacy. Um, uh, that just made me remember something else. But um, well, now you got to share that. Okay. <laughs> well, Tyler no. is shaking his head. Apparently, he knows what you're going to say. No, no, I don't think I'm just so. Saying, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, no, that instance. Okay, I might as well just share everything. Um. No, yeah, because I mean, a lot of my issues revolve around around sex. There's like sex issues, and um, you know, I remember you know like exploring myself when I was younger and being shamed for that. So that that was just like the memory that kind of popped in. Your mom or your dad shamed you for that. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. And did she shame you because she caught you, or you told her? No, I mean, she must have caught me. Um, not like red-handed because it was like later on that she just I mean I remember going through a phase where I was kind of doing that stuff in my room and um, then like a little bit later I remember her saying like you know just looking at me like really mean saying I know what you do in there I was like and that's all it took that's all it took I was like terrible it was all over after that Um, yeah that hit me right in the gut and um, I don't remember what we were talking about before trying to oh the boundaries um yeah it was it was mostly i guess like emotional stuff like um i definitely my my dad was very strict he was very scary he was really like intimidating that's kind of um and now looking back it's you know i don't know you a lot of people probably say this on here but it's you know i i think he did the best he could with what he had but um i was terrified of him yeah, so. he was probably a pro- an improvement over his dad. Yeah, maybe. Or his mom. Right. Um, how would he terrify you? What would he do or say? Was it were, were his outbursts kind of uh, loud and? He, yeah. He was an imposing guy, or. Outbursts were loud. Um, he, and again with the looks, like all he had to do was glare at me too, and that was enough to make me cry. <laughs> And, and what was the, 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 the fear or the pain? Was it that I've disappointed him and it kills me that he's unhappy with me or is it he's going to hit me or he's going to yell and it's just scary? Yeah, I mean, it was just scary. Like, I think sometimes I didn't know what he was going to do. It felt like he was losing control um, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And uh and I mean, I remember, like, sometimes I just thought, like, he didn't like me. Like, this guy, like, hates me right now. Um, so, yeah. Was it, in between there, was there love and affection and a feeling of safety? Or was it just kind of... Uh... Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, there would be. I mean, you know, I feel like I grew up, like, knowing... They loved me. With him, it was hard. He, My dad was a little bit harder because that, like, he really scared me. Um, but, you know, then I had my mom over here telling me how much they loved me, um, how much he loved me. I remember her telling me that a lot, actually. Um, and, you know, she would say that, too. But both of them, like, and, you know, and she was kind of um, what I kind of remembered about that was I remember like up until a certain age, we were like pretty close. We did a lot of stuff. She showed me like a lot of cool things. She, she really took care of it. She was at home with us a lot, did a lot of cool stuff. And, um, then I just kind of remember her backing up and, um, not being like, 
I don't know, as affectionate or, I don't know, it was weird. And you don't know what happened to change that? No. Do you remember how old you were when that happened? Um, I mean, I want to say like around seven or eight or something like that. I mean, it just seemed different. Were either of your uh, parents addicts or alcoholics of any type? Nope. I kind of liken my dad to like a workaholic. He works yeah. a lot, but I think um, I think that's you know as well, I don't know what the word you want to use damaging as right. alcoholism because it's still a thing that takes you away from your kids. Yeah. It makes them think I am not doing something right as a kid. If I were better, um, I would get that love and that attention that I may not even consciously know that I need, but I, th- I think it sends a, a, a subliminal message to the, yeah. to those kids that you're not that interesting. Yeah. I think I kind of got that message because yeah. he would go away for work too. Like we lived in Anchorage and he would go up to, it was like Prudhoe Bay or something. So he would go off and on for like a week. He would leave for a week, come back for a week, leave for a week like that. Or like the lengths what might change like two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, and yeah, I kind of got that feeling. I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> like, we're all here hanging out. Um, but then, you know, I also remember the relief I felt when he left and then how everything changed in the house when he got, when he came back. So. Was your mom happier when he was gone? <sighs> Things were definitely different. That's so hard to say out yeah. loud. Um, maybe. Yeah. Why is it hard I to say out loud? So. Um, because I think it's this whole facade that like might still kind of be going on today. It's like, you know, it's a whole lifetime of that. So and the facade, you know, that's, yeah. See, I feel bad even saying that because um, using- like, I know, I know she loves him. I really, I think she loves mm-hmm. him, but like, there's just, I think it was easier on all of us when he was gone sometimes. So I think, too, even people that love each other can be relieved that the other person is going away for a while. Yeah. You know, I think everybody needs to be yeah. alone and autonomous and, and all of that stuff. Um, were you guys ever affected by any of the oil spills? Not that I remember. I always think about that when I when I see one up there. I think, what is that like for the people, especially the people that work in the oil industry? What's What's it got to be like? Right. Like, really stressful. I can't imagine some of the snowstorms that you have seen and some of the temperatures. I remember, I mean, there's definitely like below zero weather, um, wind, lots of snow. I mean, that was, those are other like cool memories, like playing in the snow and it literally just being like so much higher than, Mm -hmm. than me. Um, and I remember ash falling one time with like the volcanoes, I guess, erupting. Was it from, I guess you'd you'd be probably too young for it to have been Mount St. Helens. I mean, I can't remember. So I was born in 84. Yeah, Mount St. Helens was 1980, I think. Oh, okay. And it was Washington, so it probably wouldn't have carried all the way over there anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm a terrible geographer. Yeah, I'm not good with any of these dates or anything either. Um, so what was the, the boundary issues that you had with um, with other kids? The kids. Yeah, um, I think I just, 
And even for like a long time, I mean, and this has gone up until I, it's something that I'm still working on because it's some, like, I don't, it's almost like they're not like, I don't understand. I feel like normal people, um, with like healthy boundaries know what's okay and what's not okay with a kid. And I'm not, I've never done anything to a kid and I would never hurt a kid. Um, but it just gets so foggy in my head. Um, like let's say, um, one of them, I mean, I remember like my little cousin, he was much, he was a lot younger than me, like coming up and like, um, he thought I was pretty. He's like, you're, you're so pretty. You're so beautiful. And I mean, my whole body would just like freeze. I'm like, I don't know like what to do with that. And, um, I remember he kissed me and I just, I mean, the same thing. I'm just like frozen basically. And, um, you know, just feeling a lot of, so it was, it was stuff like that, that, I mean, I looked back on, well, first of all, it was very uncomfortable right then. But then, um, looking back, I was just like, like, what is wrong with you? Like, what that's disgusting. What, what do you think caused you to freeze up because you thought about him sexually? Um, I think, I think so in a way. Um, it's also really hard to say. Um, but, and I don't know how else to describe it. I wish there was better words. Uh, I've heard many people describe it. Many, many, many people describe it. And, um, mostly girls that were violated as children, um, many of them shut down and are afraid that they have some inner child molester in them and they they just shut down because they don't know what else to do and it's not like they're sitting there going oh you know i'm so hot right now i'm so turned on right it's this fear that there is something dark inside them that they won't be able to control yeah and um some of them have uh, had to stop babysitting Mm -hmm. um because they would you know have a baby's diaper off and they would um just anxiety mm-hmm. would would come over them so i think it's really really common that's really good to hear oh yeah that's so good to hear yeah. and yeah i i mean i i'm sure i think on this podcast like i probably just heard it like a couple times and not like i don't know just like little snippets here and there and i'm like there it is yes that's yeah. it that's mostly the from thing. the surveys uh, i would yeah i would hear this from okay. and some emails i would get um from from listeners as well but, um, yeah, that's, and that's the stuff. I mean, one of the things in, in the email, like the, I mean, the disturbing thoughts that I would have like those, and especially like more recently, which is actually what got me back into therapy this last time, um, was stuff like that. They, the, those issues were coming up again. And I was like, I think I should probably be in prison right now. Like I, I need to be like in prison and they're going to kill me in prison. And Oh. I went through a phase in my life where I was I was thought I was a bad person because of all the crazy dark sick thoughts I had I had in my head and it was such a relief the first time a therapist said oh no every, everybody God. thinks dark <laughs> thoughts and I was like I just remember feeling like the world had been lifted from my shoulders yeah yeah I really had a like that was really a lot of relief for me when 
like I, I think in the email, like I believe with Maria Banford mm-hmm. talked about that. And I was like, oh, I can sleep tonight, maybe. <laughs> Do you, are you comfortable sharing some of the thoughts? Um, I think it was more, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know if I can. Yeah. Okay. And I don't, At don't, least not right now. I kind of. Okay. Um, I personally find it, um, and I'm not trying to pressure you. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it f- from my own experience, um, saying it out loud to to other people um, in an appropriate situation has been very freeing for yeah. me, especially if that other person is somebody who has experienced the same thing. Um, I think the first time I did that was uh, with somebody in my support group, and they were just so. Well, I did it to my therapist, but I thought, "Oh, therapists are paid, you know, right? To, <laughs> That's your job." Yeah, to tell you that you're not crazy, but um, it was just so. Um, it was so freeing to to say that out loud to to a non-professional um, person, and yeah. and have that be met with. I've gotten really, yeah, I've gotten really honest with somebody in my support group too. Um, and you shared those thoughts with them. I did. And how did they? As best as I could, because actually more was revealed after that. Um, but as best how, as I could. How so more was revealed? Um, I think I was just able to be more honest about it. I see. Because when I first started talking about it, I was kind of really like. It's hard, man. It's, it's really hard because you're convinced. That person's going to go, all right, this is the end of our friendship because oh, yeah. you're a fucking weirdo. Again, with the police, I was like, she's going to call the cops. Like, as soon as, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to jail. And I was ready at that point in my life. I was, you know, I was in that much pain, I guess, you know, that I was like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I have to, I have to do this. I have to talk. So even if I go to jail, <laughs> I have to talk. Oh. The number of people whose heads I've pictured being cut off, pushing people in front of buses, <laughs> you know, I, I think I shared this on the Maria's <laughs> thing, uh, you know, fucking a baby. I right. mean, you, what? it's almost like my brain goes, what's the most <laughs> fucked up, cruel thing you could do in this situation to kill everybody else's joy, <laughs> to just see that smile turn to horror on that person's face. And, uh. And my brain will do it, you know. Yeah. And, and I used to judge it, and now I just look at it like a like the universe is just playing a little movie for me, and my brain is the you know the movie projector. It's the universe's roll of film, and my brain is the movie projector. And I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, but no, it would be. I I mean, now that you've kind of sit not like really like the full act but just being i guess intimate with with them and uh it was horrifying that's the most horrifying thing probably in my life that i've that i've dealt with stuff like that and you know and and i just want to say to anybody out there who has thoughts like that you know the only time I think to become concerned about that is when it's it's per- pervasive and it's um, strongly 
strongly sexual and it brings up you know uh, a sexual fantasy that you can't let go of you know that you want on a certain level to come true right. you know that you're masturbating about all the time and you're right. beginning to look at stuff online that's at the point at which other people are i think are in danger but Probably. you know i think when it's a thought that just pops into your head and you you know even even if you i think if that pop thought pops into your head and you feel titillation from it right i still think that's probably normal and you know nothing that, that that's my two cents that's really good to hear and yeah i mean i never and that that was the thing that was like the relief for me where it was like it went so far but yeah it stopped and you know it's not like i was like you said i wasn't going home and like pleasuring myself with these thoughts or anything like that it was absolutely horrifying and it made me hate myself it was just like and you know I feel like I can say with confidence, you know, like to the people that I have shared it with, it's like, I would never do that. I would never do that. And, but it has gotten to the point where it's like, I don't want to be around kids. Um, it's not like that today, but it has been, um, definitely in the like more recent. Say that again. Um, there's just, there's been times where I haven't wanted to be around kids. Like it's gone. It went to that point where it was like, this is just too, this makes me feel too horrible um, to walk around with that. I just, I don't, I, I'll, I'll avoid kids. Um, but that's not the case now. Not today. Okay. Right. So you feel like you've, you've progressed. I've progressed. In that regard. Yeah. So did you, when did these, these thoughts and feelings um, come up? Was it, was it always just a thought or was there sometimes feelings attached to it too, where it would be mildly erotic? Yeah. Sometimes feelings. Yeah. Yep. Um, and would it be something that you would dwell on or it would just come and it would, it would flash up and you'd banish it from your mind or you would kind of roll it around in your mind and begin to feel something from it and then be like, oh, this is terrible. It felt um, like it was so out of my control. Like, and this was something that I've tried to talk about in therapy where it's like, I felt like it happened to my body first and like the, I mean, the connection was just, I didn't understand. I was like, no, I'm not like imagining anything like with these kids to like make me feel any certain way. It's, I felt like it just, I don't know. It, it's like skipped my mind. I see. So it went to your body first. Yeah. I felt like it went to my body and then my head would kind of follow and would just be like, what the fuck? So did you... How would you numb that? Uh, with, was that when you started using drugs and alcohol? Or would uh, you just banish it from your mind and go, well, just another thing that makes me a piece of shit? You know what? For so long, yeah, for so long, it was just like something I didn't know how to explain. This is, I mean, this is really just recently that I've been able to talk about this stuff. You know, I, I didn't know how to explain it. It was just something I internalized. And yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, being like a younger kid and like throughout my life being a younger kid, I don't think I had those words. I'm a piece of shit. But like, sure. I had a, um, yeah, it's like, wow, yeah, I suck. This is probably, you know, ever, other people probably aren't like this and just made me feel bad. Had you, and I can edit this out if you're not comfortable uh, sharing it, but had you ever acted out with, with other kids in a way that went beyond you know, normal kid stuff. 
No, no, I don't think so. I mean, there was like, um, you know, like the, what is it? What do they call that? Like, I'll, I'll show you mine. Yeah. Um, whatever. Um, but those were like with kids, my own age at like a younger age, but no, that kind of more weird stuff. No, I never did anything further than feel horrible. So I think it's, it's pretty rare for somebody to, for a pedophile to not have had a history as a child of, you know, some type of acting out with people not in, inside their their age bracket, you know, right. or or um, the ones that tend to be abusive later as adults, even if it was somebody their age, then there was some type of tricking or coercion. You know, right. I read that in, a, in the surveys quite a bit of, um, but it doesn't, I mean, you sound so normal. You sound so normal. That's what I was, I, I think I spent um, a lot of time working on that. Like nothing's going on. Like nothing's going on in here. I promise I'm a good person, but I don't know. So what's, give me some, some more snapshots from your emotional life um, growing um, up. How, how would the, um, the self-hatred, the I'm a, I'm a piece of shit, how would, did that progress? Did that, did you ever start self-harming? Yeah, I started cutting. Um, I mean, probably when I was like 13 or 14, after I moved to Las Vegas, um, it wasn't long before I started in with all the drugs and, um, and then the cutting came. After the drugs? Mm, kind of around the same time, actually. Actually, maybe the cutting came first. Um, but all around the same time, like middle school. Um, and was it because you saw other girls doing it and you wanted to try it or did you feel compelled to do it because it, I probably saw somebody else do it first. Um, I mean, I remember, I was, guess I was thinking about this, uh, earlier, but I remember this movie that I saw called Zelly and me. I don't, it's like this really old movie. I don't know, but the little, there's a little girl in it who, like burns herself. And I just remember seeing that as a kid and being absolutely fascinated by that. Um, and this is, and that was when I still lived in Alaska, but that always stuck with me. What fascinated you about it? What wondering what that would feel like or why would somebody do that or both kind of like why? And, but it was almost like I already understood. It was like, um, I, it was like her own thing. It was hers. Like that was hers. Like she had, you know, she had like a little box of her stuff and she would get her stuff out and then she did it. And, um, and it was just all hers. Like nobody else was around and, um, you know, and she would put her stuff away in the box and, um, that's what I, I don't know. I like that. Yeah. And, and that I think is in a nutshell why people for instance engage in eating disorders is it's i can control this yeah. i can get a sense of victory from doing this here's a way that i can express what it is that i that i feel this is mine yeah this is my own little corner mm -hmm. so that makes total sense to me yeah i've mm -hmm. always 
almost fetishized, not in a sexual way, but in a like the rituals of getting high of, you know, I just loved the taking the seeds out of the weed, you know, rolling the joints the 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 ride back from the dealer's house right, those was, got me yeah. as high <laughs> yeah, me as too. the and so i just i love it because it was like this is my thing this is my secret thing that almost like i'm i'm getting one over on oh yeah my parents or yeah, you know, whoever good. was telling whoever. me i shouldn't be doing it yes so yeah um so how, was there an arc to the to the cutting um, did it start and progress somewhere else? Yeah, uh, I kind of did it like sporadically, like as a teenager while I was still living at my house, my mom's house, my parents' house. Um, and I think I like I did that a lot. I did it kind of as like um, I did it as like an fu to people, you know. Um, you know, I kind of wrote to you about like that I said i talked about the codependent thing and i mean even since i was a teenager it was like the the, everybody that i was around the people that i was around my best friends um my boyfriends at the time i mean they were all like addicts or alcoholics or and you know i just that was like horrible to me it hurt me so bad um that they were destroying themselves well i was kind of doing the same thing i was like drinking and doing drugs but different drugs and cutting good drugs <laughs> not bad drugs that go up your nose um but then i eventually did that too and uh but yeah and cutting and um like so i had my own stuff and i thought that was fine but i was i was just so uh upset when other people when i saw other people do that um and i would try to control it and i had a lot to say about it and um so can yeah you, can you be more specific about that about controlling it, and you had a lot to say about it. Yeah, I was just like, real okay, like for one person specifically, um, you know, my she was like my best friend, and I would just, I would want to know where she was like all the time, and like what she was doing, what she was going to be doing, um, as far as drugs or drinking, how much she was going to be drinking, who was going to be there, um, and you know, it was okay if I was I was there mm-hmm. and I was doing it too. Sure. <laughs> You don't have to think about yourself and your own issues if you can focus on what's wrong with your friend. I totally get it. I really did all of my focus. I mean, all of my focus would be on her or like a boyfriend. And like I like I I came out like a year ago, um, lesbian, and uh, so I think there was a lot of that tied into it, Mm -hmm. um, where there was just like all of these. I guess the word is latent, (laughs) like latent feelings that I had towards like my girlfriends. And, um, so, I mean, it was just like a big, it was just like a big mess. I've heard so many stories where girls haven't gotten in touch with their, um, with being a lesbian yet. And so it comes out as jealousy and possessiveness about, I mean, they were, yeah, I really was. I mean, I hated any of my girlfriends, boyfriends um but I, and it's weird because this one with her specifically she was like that towards me too i mean we were both we played in this really sick codependent relationship where it was kind of she had her claws just as much into me as i was into her and we never were intimate with each other but i mean we might as well be we joke now i mean 
we joked for so long. We were like, oh, we're like a married, we're like married, like a married couple. You're still friends with her? We still talk. Yeah. We're not as, we're and, unmeshed. And <laughs> is she uh, straight or? She's straight. Yeah. yeah. She has a boyfriend. How did she react when you came out? Uh, probably shock. She, uh, just like, oh, okay. But kind of shocked, but kind of like almost like she didn't really, she didn't really like blink either. She was just like, still love you. It's cool. Yeah. But I mean, thank God it's getting to that point. Thank God. You know? Um, but yeah, I want, I, I mean, I always think about that though. I mean, I wonder if she's. You know, I think about some of my friends that I was really close with, and I'm like, how how do they feel about that? Like, now that I told them, like, I wonder how they feel about that. If they think, like, looking back on our relationship, if, how they feel about what happened in our relationship, if they feel, like, betrayed or um, just, like, think that I'm weird or something. I don't know. I worry about stuff like that, but. What was the arc of you coming to terms with your with your sexuality when when did you first wonder about it and when did you confirm it and how did you get to that place um, well i i can't imagine what your mom thinks about it if she thought <laughs> masturbating was bad oh my goodness she asked me the other because i came out to them like during this month uh, or like a, I don't know, like a month ago with her. And she recently, we were in the car together. She's like, so are you sure you covered all the bases? Like ace. And I think she looked at like a website, which is, she's trying. So she, I think she looked at, found some sort of website. She's like, are you sure? Are you like, are you bisexual? Are you asexual? She so are wanted you, you to be you bisexual. Frigid? Yeah. I was like, no, that sounds like the worst thing ever. Um, but yeah, something, yeah, something she wanted me to be. Anything, Sounds like that. Anything other than a straight up lesbian. <laughs> Not that. Where there's no hope of grandchildren. But you can adopt. I can't. Yeah, but she do you think she's afraid that she's going to have to say to other conservative uh people or less tolerant people, my my daughter's a lesbian or have them know that and, and that she's gonna be judged? Maybe. I really like my family's so good at like denial. Um so I think there's still some of that. Like, it's just, we're really good at the, like, if, if it's uncomfortable, if we don't like, we'll just, nah, that's not really happening right now. Um, and my mom doesn't really see and talk to a lot of people except for like family, which they all live in Texas. So what did she, what did she say when you said, mom, I'm, I'm gay. We were in the car. I was in a road trip with her, which, it's probably not the best place to do that. We're stuck in the car. <laughs> or maybe the best place. Right. We're not escaping this conversation. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's God. I probably like blocked a lot of it out. I just, uh, cause it was kind of uncomfortable. I mean, I almost started crying. She, I, she cried and, um, cause it was upsetting. Like we were there for a cousin's wedding and it was like one cousin's wedding that I'd been to, like one too many. And I'm, then they're all like younger, like all my cousins are like all married, have kids and everything. And here I am. Um, and so I was just, I was kind of upset about it. I was just like, this isn't, it's not going to be like this for me. It's just not. And at that time, you know, 
obviously like I hadn't told them, I hadn't told my parents and it was just like this secret that it had been, it was, it was feeling like a secret for a while. I was okay. Not talking about it, but how long, when did you know? Like a year ago. So, um, a year before that or a year ago from today, uh, around like a year ago from, from that, like, let's see, like June, I want to say I started, I realized started realizing what, last brought, year. what brought you to that realization i was in therapy um i did it i did it that way which um you know like i said like i, I went i went back to therapy my boyfriend i was with a guy at the time and his sister died his sister passed away and um she was 31 she had a little kid and um it was really it was really hard. I mean, to deal with that, the whole situation, first of all, um, like my boyfriend's grief and his family's grief. I mean, it was, it was a shock. She had a a brain aneurysm and, um, and then we start, I started taking care of, we started taking care of, um, the kid a lot. Um, and that's when some of those feelings started coming up and, uh, and thoughts and, and on top of just like the situation, I went back to therapy and I started, you know, I started talking and, um, so, I mean, it was probably like a, a year, more than a year. I was talking with him again, more than a year. It's the same counselor that I've had mm-hmm. since I was like 20. Um, and I've gone off and on, but I went back to him and, um, and he's known about this my, from childhood and. And again, it was so hard to, I mean, it took me years and years to start talking. Um, and, and I just, I eventually told him I, like I was having problems in the bedroom, of course, like with, with my boyfriend, um, that was always an issue, um, with all the guys I had been with. And so we just started talking about these issues, like, and, and I started looking for reasons why, like, why am I like this? Like, I thought there was something wrong with me. I'm like, let's just fix the thing that's wrong with me so that I could have an intimate relationship with my partner, with my boyfriend. And, um, so like really it kind of, you know, we, we, we dealt with some of like the grief issues and stuff, but then we would really, all the mm-hmm. sessions would kind of focus in on. Were you struggling to be present in the bedroom with your, with your boyfriends? Yeah. Because you would go into your head and think about a different scenario? Um, I oh. would just not want to be there at all. But, I, but where would your head go? Um, and just think about your grocery list and uh, I kind of <laughs> want to get through this. And... I don't know. I, I don't know what I thought about it. Yeah, I think it was kind of mostly like trying to barrel through it. Yeah. Would you feel dread when they would get that look in their eye? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that that's really common. Um, You know, separating this from your sexuality, even if you were straight, Mm -hmm. um, it is really common for people who have been sexually abused to um, shut down, to either be really promiscuous or to shut down sexually, especially shut down sexually with somebody um, who you have some type of um committed relationship with that's super super common wow. and and that's why a lot of people who have been abused sexually abused um start engaging in sex addiction a lot of one night stands anything that doesn't involve them having to 
become emotionally close to somebody. But you get that hit, that validation um, with somebody, which is why then in a committed relationship, you've already gotten that hit and that validation. They've already fucked you that initial time. Mm -hmm. So now you're left with that. Is this person going to smother me, consume me? want something from me you wow. know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. those feelings exactly yeah terrified of those feelings um because those were exactly what would come like every every time especially being with you know like somebody who has like a healthy sex life sex yeah. appetite it's like uh would there ever be a have you gone through periods in your life where you're less turned on by somebody once they're into you? Um, yeah, I think even with like my, my last boyfriend, um, that was kind of like, cause God, I mean, I really got into like analyzing how I felt and like our sex life and our relationship. And I did notice that, that it was like, you know, if he left me alone, I was like, hey, <laughs> like, you know, then I'd be interested. But as soon as he like turned his head to look at me, I was like, no, <laughs> like, um, just kidding. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's safer. It's safer when they're not interested. It's like I, I have the control. I have the control. I think that's exactly it. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. I used to I remember being 15 or actually a little bit older. She was, she was, I think, two years younger than me. And uh, I think I was a senior. She was a sophomore. And um, and I had lost my virginity uh, with her. And and she was so sweet. So sweet. And we were at a party. And I remember I was getting beer for both of us. And, and I looked over and she just smiled this sweet smile at me. And I just felt rage. Mm. I felt rage. And I remember saying to her, what the fuck are you smiling at? And I just wanted, I remember wanting to hurt her for liking me. Yeah, I got violent too. Did you? Yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) It was bad when I was drinking. Tyler's shaking his head. (laughs) Tyler's probably heard this too many times. You guys seem like such awesome friends. (laughs) (laughs) We met like a year ago and yeah, it's been, Tyler's a great friend. He really is. He really is. We've gone on a trip. Hold on one second. I'm going to give Tyler the mic. Okay. Last year, we went on a trip with each other around the same time. We went to Zion National Park. And then now around the same time, we're doing this together. So I think the universe (laughs) requires us to go do something every year. (laughs) And talk about sex. And talk about sex, I came out to him. Yeah, he was like one of the first people that I came out to besides like my really close girlfriends. Because we were going camping. And I was like, yes, it's on. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, so, uh, oh. Oh, so we're not going to sleep together. I yeah. don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did you did you have have hopes that you guys were going to hook up? Um, in that I will sleep with. Sorry, in that I will sleep with anyone. Like for that validation, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> That's almost insulting on a, <laughs> on a certain it's level. Totally insulting. <laughs> yeah, but I'm used to it. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, but that, I mean, that was, I mean, just for like a side note, like that, it was like a really safe thing for me to be able to, I mean, and it was so scary to say because again, like kind of, so it, it was so new to me, like coming out and realizing it myself that I mean, all of my attention was still kind of focused on men, though I knew how to be around men. And that was like another thing with boundaries. It was like, I thought if I thought a guy liked me, um, and he was like, kind of cool. And I was like, Oh, okay, so I'm yours, basically. Um, it's that easy. And so all of my like, like little thing, I don't know, like flirting, I guess, they're all still towards men. And I, I like told him that too. I'm like, I'm sorry if I'm like being <laughs> totally weird. And yeah. And I think it's totally normal too to still want the attention of yeah. men. You know, men yeah. are fun to hang around. Mm-hmm. Well, most men. Yeah. I'm a lot of men. <laughs> I don't know if I could say most men, <laughs> but a lot of men. Um, there's a. Th- th- Here's how I wanted to phrase it. There's a vibe that the company of men provides yeah. that I can't find um, with women and vice versa. Yeah. You know? um, and that's been really nice to experience, too. That's awesome. Because for so long, it was like, I mean, it still can be like, if I get a certain vibe from a guy, I'm, I'm like, like, fuck you. I fucking hate you. Like, get away from me. But, um other other guys i've been able like oh my god like you can be my friend like we can be friends now like now that i'm not being weird i think so many females crave that can you just be my friend and not want to fuck me yeah big time yeah because i think women big time want to enjoy what's awesome about men without Mm -hmm. all of the shit that goes with it and i think we want to too yeah. But sometimes it's like, oh, God, my dick showed up. <laughs> you know? Sorry. <laughs> really? I, th- I, thought, I thought we didn't give you the address to this, <laughs> to this friendship. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think it. I think it takes work to get to a place where you can be friends with somebody of the opposite sex, somebody who's even attractive mm-hmm. and not and to be able to keep that that boundary yeah. and have it not be a thing. I think Absolutely. I think you got to be in a pretty centered space. Yeah, definitely. Like, and for like, yeah, I mean, cause that always, that like the weird feelings probably always come first. And then I'm like, Hey, wait a second. Like, this is just, you know, it's just a person. It's a person. It's okay. Um, you know, yeah, it does kind of take work and, and it's, I mean, a lot of talking about it before that, but then in my head it takes work again, like to switch it. And the other thing, too, that I think women classically tend to have to battle more than men because of the way society kind of raises them is they don't want to disappoint. Yes. And that was a huge, huge thing because, I mean, all the years that I was with guys, that was the very, I mean, that was the thing because when I was in my early teenage years, I actually was with girls. My first sexual experiences were with girls. And... um I did that for a little while and then I would just remember, you know, deciding not to like, and this isn't going to happen anymore. Um, Talk about that. If you would, why, what was it experimentation or it was, this is what I enjoy. I'm doing this. And then this is wrong. I'm going to stop doing it. Uh, Probably somewhere in the middle because it wasn't really, I don't think I was that aware to be like, this is what I enjoy. How old were you? Um, 
like 12, 13, 14. I probably stopped around 14. So it was kind of that window where because girls aren't doing it with boys yet, they're experimenting with each other? Probably. Um, I'm trying to, I'm thinking of the ages again. Yeah, 14, 15. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand why it would start out that way and then it would go to boys. Why didn't it start out with, with boys? Was it because it was just a matter of convenience and opportunity or because that was more interesting to you? That's what I'm having yeah. trouble understanding. Well, both, actually. It was definitely more interesting to me. I mean, I remember looking back on it now, um, it was definitely, I was def- my interest was in girls, other girls. Um, I could be, you know, I didn't have any interest in, in guys, really. Um, but then, yeah, convenience. I'm like, oh, you get to spend the night in my house, or, you know, we get to hang out all the time. And um, it was just kind of naturally happened that way. And then, um, you know, and it went on for like a little while. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember like comments in school, like I remember somebody said something at school, um, like, cause I was kind of like, um, I don't know, the sidekick, let's say to like this, the popular girl. And it was me and her that were like intimate together. And I remember like one girl walking by and just being like, uh, like you and your little lesbo friend or whatever, like saying stuff like that. And, um. And, you know, of course, she was like an older, like cooler person. It was just like, oh, this isn't this isn't cool. This is this this route I'm going down is is going to be the death of me. Yeah. Because um, even in a way, I mean, I remember kind of and it was kind of I don't know. It, we were like we were weird. We were like gothic kids and we like to shock people. And so we I, it was kind of that, too. It was like we were trying to shock people at school. Like, oh, we're like we're bisexual and we make out with each other and whatever. Um, which that's probably, you know, it's not that unusual, I don't think. But like looking back for me, it really was it was me. And it was like, no, this is something that I it was it means something to, to me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then, you know, watching this girl um that i was with um intimately she was my best friend and then watching her get boyfriends and kind of going and that way what did that feel like that hurt that hurt and it was i was mad i was really mad and jealous you remember crying about it um yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's so... Because it's so unusual for a teenage girl to cry about. Yeah, about anything for the job of a hat. I mean, I remember I would wait by the phone. I was definitely like, I wanted to be with her all the time. And I would wait by the phone for her to call. And if she didn't call me, my life was over. Oh. Um, so, yeah. So, then you kind of bury that part of yourself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you soldier through. Uh, with relationships with men that where it's not really the the, the authentic you mm-hmm. but allows you to socially move through the world in a way right. that begrudgingly yeah yeah but a part of you is feeling completely unfulfilled yeah it's crazy where are you now with it have you been intimate with a woman as an adult yeah um and that's where it gets like hard because I think like 
it's not like it doesn't feel, it feels different than it did like when I was younger and how I kind of moved into it naturally. Now, after all of the years, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it was like trauma. It's like years of trauma, um, being with guys, especially, um, because for so long, I just, I knew I didn't want to. And I, I just, like I said, I thought there was something wrong with me, but I knew I didn't want to, but I also had that idea. This is what I'm supposed to do. So I was doing it over and over and over and over and over again. I can't imagine how how that must have felt. And I know a lot of people have sex with somebody that they would rather not be there with. And it's all to varying degrees, you know, from outright rape to just I'm bored with fucking this person and everywhere in between but with somebody who is not in their living their sexual truth talk about that what that what that feels like and what the effect has been on you um well it would make me cry first of all that was like kind of my first sign that like this isn't I don't think this is right. I mean, I've heard of that, like women or people crying when they have sex, but I mean, it was really disturbing to me. It was like a bad crying. Like this is, this is when that you cried. Um, actually from being a teenager all the way up until a year ago when I stopped, um, and it wouldn't happen all the time, but would you, I probably learned how to control it. Would like, you cry, uh, before, during, after? Would during. They, during. Yeah. Oh and after. And would they know? Would you hide it from them? I would try to hide it sometimes. Um, but a lot of times it was kind of uncontrollable. Especially, it's kind of explicit, but like um, having an orgasm would kind of, I mean, like bawling. And so... And I think that kind of like messed things up too, because, you know, tying, like having that really good feeling, it's supposed to be like a really good feeling. It was tied right there with like horrible, horrible feelings. Um, well, you know, I always say that the body and the soul experience don't necessarily experience the same thing and they can often experience two completely different things. You can be orgasming while your soul is screaming, this doesn't feel right. This yeah. doesn't feel good. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it was sickening. Like, you know, it would make me um, feel bad for like days afterwards. And, uh, you know, and this was especially towards the end when it was just getting to like so acute because I don't know if it was just after for years of doing this. Um, and would you think that it was the, the guy anxiety. and that you just needed to get out of this relationship or did you feel like, no, this is a problem with me? This is a problem with me. And did yeah. you think it was because I'm, I really want to be with women and I'm afraid to? I never thought that. I never thought what that. What did you think the problem was? I just thought something was wrong with me. Did um, you think it was tied to the thoughts and stuff that you had that you struggled with? The unwanted thoughts? Yeah. Once I started going back to, to therapy, I mean, because we would start talking about this stuff and, um, you know, we looked all the way back to my uncle. Let's say, like, you know, we would try to explore that and, like, 
I mean, I did like so much writing. I would try to like find other things. Cause like I said, like there's just no, there's no emotions tied to it. It was just like, what the hell happened? Like, you know, I got to a certain point where I was like, okay, something happened. Like something happened that just crossed my wires like somewhere. Cause you know, the boundaries with, with the kids and, um, and then my issues with men, it was like, what the hell, what is wrong with me? And, um, so I don't know. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm sure I had asked myself at certain, certain times, like, well, are you gay? Like what the, and you know, it was always like, nah, no, <laughs> like I totally separated the two, like my feelings and experiences when I was a teenager with, with the girls, it was like, no, that was just, then it was just silly the dark thoughts that you would have about children was there ever a preference uh for male or female no Mm -mm. it was both the kind of the same thoughts about both sexes yeah um so what was it like the first time then you were intimate with a woman as an adult um it was a mixture it was like really it was a relief. It was beautiful. Um, there was really, really good things about it. I remember telling my friend like after the first time, um, and it was like nothing even serious. It was just, you know, like a little bit, I'm being slightly like intimate with somebody. And, uh, and I just remember telling my friend the next day, like, you know, I, what she wants from me, like I, I can give her, um, and that felt really good. And the same thing, like back, like whatever I wanted in it. And for me, like, you, you know, mean emotionally, 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 spiritually, whatever, um, physically too, even, you know, cause it's like with the guys, it was just like, a, you know, frozen. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to give you my body. I don't want to give you my emotions, my soul. I don't want to do that. Um, and it was like they were taking it. That's what it felt like. I know, you know. In their mind, they had it, no, no idea. No, yeah, no. In yeah, their no, mind, they're like, this is that. how I love you. And like, yeah. um, but in my mind, yeah, it was the other way. I think there are so many women and men that feel that same way. And I can't tell you how many surveys I've read of married women that describe that, that are like, every time I come, I'm thinking about a woman. Wow. Every single time. Oh, wow. I, my biggest fantasy is to be with a woman, and I have the feeling I will die never knowing that because I don't want to get a divorce, and I don't want my kids to have to go through that. That breaks my heart. Yeah. That's really sad. Uh, and then there's a lot who are bisexual, that where it's just a a strong um, desire on their part that, that, they, that they fantasize. And there are also straight ones or maybe they're lying to themselves, I'm not sure, who can only orgasm by thinking about um, women. And right. same with men. There are some men who can only orgasm or choose to picture men when they orgasm, but but they identify as straight. So I, I think there's this huge, gorgeous potpourri of gray that right. we should all be working towards just embracing and going, you know what, if we're not tricking or hurting anybody, yeah, let's just come really hard <laughs> and try to be nice to each other, you know? 
Easier said than done. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I think now would be a good time to uh, give some love to our sponsor, PillPack. Uh, PillPack is a pharmacy that delivers really convenient pre-sorted meds right to your door. Uh, you can support the Mental Illness Happy Hour by visiting PillPack.com slash happy hour and uh, see how PillPack replaces everything that's frustrating about dealing with your pharmacy. Uh, if you decide that you want to try it, you get the first month free. And uh, again, you sign up through PillPack pillpack.com slash happy hour. Um, I don't know about you guys, but taking meds, uh, a lot of times I forget, did I take it today? Um, you got to wait in line at the pharmacy. Sometimes your prescription only gets partially filled. Uh, PillPack takes your meds as seriously as you do. They have great customer service. They ship prescriptions to 33 states and non-prescriptions to all 50 states. And uh, the really cool thing is that it is super easy to enroll. Uh, they'll call your old pharmacy and transfer all of your prescriptions for you. All you need to do is sign up and some straightforward, uh, uh, all you need to do is fill out some straightforward contact information. Um, so yeah, go check it out, pillpack.com slash happy hour. And uh, just remember, not only are you uh, supporting them, but you're supporting the show, and you know who knows? Maybe uh, they'll continue to be a sponsor because I personally think it's a really, really good fit. So, do you want to talk about the um, your get about getting sober? Um, what was your bottom line? Yeah, I mean, it changed everything. I wouldn't be able to go. I wouldn't be able to. I don't think I would be able to come out. Um, oh yeah, that was like I. It had to, we were talking about like the violence too. Like I, um, you know, especially when I was drinking, like that last leg of my drinking, um, I feel like I totally kind of just lost my mind. Um, and I got, I got sober when I was 23. Um, you've been sober now for five years. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and I feel like that was like the, the worst of it. It was just like a crumbling of like, my personality like me i mean i don't know i just totally lost myself and i became very um filled with rage <laughs> and yeah. uh and i was terrified all the time and i finally like just kind of like getting towards the end like i uh i was terrified going to work i mean i was i was drinking every day and i was terrified going to work um because i didn't know how to be a normal person around people I was like, if you guys only knew what was going on in my house at night, um, you would not like me. <laughs> like, what were the things going on in your house at night? Um, well, I would use, and I worked really early in the morning, like at four, and then I would get off really early. And usually I started drinking, um, but sometimes I would try to wait. I mean, that was me trying to like control my, like, I'll just, you know, I'm not going to drink today. And then I'm going to make it till noon. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I'm a winner. <laughs> yeah. I am okay. Look at this. <laughs> and uh yeah, like come um, man, nighttime is just something else. It's a different beast. It is. When the night comes. It is. And uh I was fine during the day, but when the sun went down, I had to everything drink. Everything changed. Yep. Since I was a teenager, I noticed that. Yeah, I, I mean, I would get like re really depressed. Like 
I would be out having fun with my friends and it's like talk like this is part of like the codependent thing. I mean, I would like take a friend and make them sit with me like in the car and just be like, uh, like it's <laughs> like, what is like just so dark. Everything was so dark. And, um, but no, I mean, what was going on at night was that I would start drinking and I would try to start off with like a good, it's going to be fun tonight. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. Like, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to freak out. Don't I'm worry. Gonna, I'm only going to throw fun furniture. <laughs> <laughs> I would try to play games. I would try to play, like, board games. Like, this is what normal people do, right? And this is we with your boyfriend? Games. This is with my a boyfriend, yeah, that I lived with. And had he ever said, I think you have a drinking or drug problem? Or was he... Man, he's Mr. Enabler, too. He was kind of, he would drink with, he was like, don't you drink alone? He wouldn't, and that was, that made me so mad. Like, don't, first of all, you're drinking my alcohol. <laughs> Second of all, it, it was like condescending. He was, he would like belittle me and, um, but I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, yeah, the violent. Yeah. Like, you know, we would start off playing board games and. Next thing, I don't know. It was like a certain time, you know, however many drinks in, something would switch. Something would switch in me. And um, I just became rageful. And, you know, like the board game would just be gone. Like <laughs> I would, uh, <clears throat> you know, I would I would cut a lot when the drinking. Um, would you cut while you were drunk? Yeah. Yeah, I would cut while I was what drunk. What would you feel when you when you would cut? Or would would it take away feelings? Would it give you feelings or take away feelings both. or switch feelings? Both, yeah, whatever. And it, I guess you know it was just another way to kind of control things too. If I wanted to feel something, do it. If I didn't want to feel something, I would use it for lots of things. Um, and what would and you, I would what, use it would, as a scare tactic too. For like, for or I would try to. Um, he didn't really buy into it, but like um, I'm going to cut if you keep doing this, right? Yeah, I would threaten that. Do you have scars? Yeah. Yeah, I have scars on my on my arms. I don't know if you can see them, but you can spread my arms mm-hmm. and here are my legs. Um on my like thighs mm-hmm. more just different bigger ones. Like this one this one I did when I was drunk. It's on it's on my wrist. Um and it was a deeper one and it was really like it's really impulsive. Like, you know, I already had this cutting habit and uh I remember like going to get a bottle. I went and got a bottle. I went and got razor blades. And I was like driving in my car on the way back. And like for just like a quick minute, I was just like, you should probably die. <laughs> like you should die right now. And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like a premeditated suicide attempt. But I, didn't, I don't know. I don't even think. What would you feel when you were buying the razor blades? Would, you get, a, would you get a rush? Better, yeah. yeah. I would feel good yeah like i'm gonna be taken care of that's a tough one that's like i haven't done any of that since i got sober like i stopped and i would like make myself throw up to um all of that and i stopped doing all that when i got sober but um this time when i got sober because there was a, a prior attempt um when i was still doing that stuff i was still cutting and throwing up and and I drank after that, and that's when the drinking got really bad. That's when the violence came. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place. But what would the how would the violence express itself? Um, I would just kind of like attack, seemingly out of with nowhere, your fists. 
with my fist. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I threw a punch and it was kind of, and it was in between because I blacked out like every night too. So I would get like snippets of this and sometimes I wouldn't even remember. And, um, sometimes I did remember and I was like, Oh crap. And sometimes I would wake up the next morning and there would be like, you know, the place would be a mess. Obviously I'd thrown things. There was a game, like there's game pieces everywhere. Like, you know, just whatever was around. Um, I remember like clumps of hair being on the floor and, uh, um, your hair, his hair. I don't know. Could have been either one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was his probably. I don't know, but it, it was just so crazy. I mean, the, the insanity of the disease, um, and you know what it, what it does to oh, both yeah. people. I mean, or he would sit in front of the door sometimes cause I would always, I would, a lot of times I would try to like escape. Like I had this whole idea in my head that he was just a monster, a monster. Like he, like I thought I was defending myself with all this, with all the craziness. I was like, I need to get away That's, from him. That is alcoholism and drug addiction, man. Yeah. That is that. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. I'm just really talking to the listener. Yeah. Is, it is a warping of perception that yes. is so profound. If you're not somebody who has recovered from it or is recovering from it, you can't overstate how profound that warping can be. I think it's why it's so hard for people to have empathy for addicts and alcoholics because yeah. they don't, they can't imagine somebody being having their their perception warp that much you just think they're a fucking asshole yeah oh yes and he's trying to control me yeah. he's and you know with all the other issues like kind of being underneath like the the sex issues i'm like and he's trying he's taking that from me oh. like here how dare him so i mean i would try to like i would i would always try to run out the door and i would go and hide in like the apartment somewhere and and just like the the interplay, like you know, he would sit in front of the door in a chair. I would freak out, um, and I would lock myself in the bedroom with my music and, and my alcohol. And he oh, and I would barricade the door. You know, and, that sounds like um, a healthy relationship to me. <laughs> I, I think awesome. you go back to it, and you bring some kids into it. Oh, I think goodness. you just need to try harder. That's so scary. Yeah, and he had a he had a kid too. He had a kid that was in California. That was an issue. You just don't. I you know it, it's crazy. I I mentioned it because it was just, it's like you don't know the how destructive it is when you're in it. Like I was you're I was so just locked into me, you know, and I didn't even think about his kid. Like I, you know the kid wasn't allowed to come over because of me. Yeah. You know the mom was like not while she's around. Because, you know, when you're in your sickness, you can't see the pattern. You just judge each individual event. And the insanity is you keep thinking the problem are these events, not the perception that is leading to these events happening. So you just keep thinking, oh, well, I need to, clearly I need to not drink before five o'clock. I need to drink at 630 because I get angry when Sanford and Son is on. And that's the problem. <laughs> you know i mean i hated law and order i would i would freak out about that if yeah. law and order came on i would freak out <laughs> why did you hate I it i don't know i don't know i've tried to i don't know i mean i could look back in my child like my mom liked that show maybe it was just like the sound of the gavel <laughs> <laughs> 
Tyler just said the sound of the gavel was what uh, was what caused it. So did you have a bottom? Yeah, I I lost my job. Um I lost my job and it was kind of, you know, at that point I had had the job for 5 years and at that point I was I was happy to be because it was so stressful like I would say I was so nervous at work like I was a nervous wreck what were you doing I was at work Um, throwing furniture at people which was really ironic that that's the job you lost (laughs) I worked at an airport which is even scarier like I worked with planes and um, yeah so what did you do with like how did I lose the job no what when you said you work with planes can you be more specific I was like, um, I did like weight and balance and there, I mean, there's lots of checks. The the people were safe, right. nothing ever happened. But, um, because I mean, of course it started creeping into my mm-hmm. work too. I would either still be drunk, like going to work, sure. which is how I lost my job. Um, oh, I knew uh, flight mechanics that smoked crack. Right. So yeah, trust me, you're, you're Feel bad about that. But yeah, yeah. Um, and so you lost your job. Yeah. So I, um, I lost my job and, uh, it was pretty much on after that. I'm like, sweet. I hate working anyway. Um, I have more time to drink. Um, and that's exactly what I did. Like I took out all my savings from my job and I just kind of went crazy and I, and I drank it. And, um, what was your drink? Whiskey, Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, cheap, whatever was cheap. You're Um, so from Alaska. Is that what Alaskans drink? Uh, it just seems like in Thank my you. mind. It just seems like, doesn't it? Tyler, doesn't that seem like... Uh, Absolutely. Like, it's the state law that you can't drink a margarita up there. You got to drink oh, whiskey. Oh, no. No, not a margarita. Um, yeah, definitely whiskey. And um, But yeah, I guess it just it just got worse. It just got worse. And um, I felt like I was going crazy. And um, I was suicidal at the end. It was just <clears throat> like my last day really drinking was you know waking up just one more time thinking it was going to be different and um really quick i found out it wasn't going to be different i mean it was like you know it was in the morning and i was out like in my living room by myself thinking all right new day it's going to be different today and my boyfriend walks out and he just asked like if i'm hungry or something and i like snapped at him i'm like like oh crap like it's not going to be it's not going to be different today and we had just gotten a puppy and for whatever crazy reason, I thought, you know, whatever. The puppy's going to make it all puppy. better. And I love my, I still have my little puppy today, lover. Um, but, you know, I just, I really felt that. I was, I was disgusted with myself. I was like, I, I knew I saw things for what they were. I was like, he doesn't deserve this. He does not deserve this insanity. And my puppy does not deserve this. I'm going to destroy her life. And, um, you know, I, I left the house without, like he took, he took her for a walk and I, and I just left without saying goodbye and I went, got a bottle and it was just like, um, it was just, I, it was over. Like I felt I was defeated. I was like, wow, you really, like, I really can't do anything about this and I'm screwed. Like I'm screwed. Like I can't stop drinking. I can't change anything. And, um, I went out to like Red Rock, which is a, like a national park outside of Vegas. And, um, I was walking around out there and I had like, I had glasses on at the time I took my glasses off cause I didn't want to see anybody. I was just like, so, you know, I was suicidal. That was my next thing. I was like, well, I guess that's what I'm going to have to do now. Like for real, like that's my only, you know, no thought of 
recovery, no thought of my family. I was just, you know, I could see it like how you kind of hear in some of those support groups. It's Mm. like jails, institutions, death. Um, And I could see that. And And it was just like, you know, all the harm that I had already done, like all the hurt I had already caused. Um, I was like, before I, I seriously hurt somebody cause I, I drove drunk all the time too. Before I seriously hurt somebody, like, let me just let it just be over. And, um, because that was the thing, like I had thoughts of like, you know, I was seriously going to hurt my boyfriend too. That's, I was so like cr- just crazy and out of my mind. Um, I was like, I'm seriously going to hurt him and I'm going to wind up in jail, prison, and uh so let it just be me and um and i was walking around out there and i was drinking and you know that's another thing that you might hear more too is just like i couldn't i just couldn't shut it up like it wasn't the alcohol wasn't i wasn't blacking out i wasn't in oblivion i wasn't in that spot where like you know alcohol could get me to where i don't or i'm good like i don't care about anything and um i just my head wouldn't shut up and um so i stayed up there for as long as i could and as i was leaving um i was finally like all right like i gotta go home and um i literally ran into a guy that i had known at a support group before and um he passed me and he just um you know he said, Hey, and I recognize the voice and I like dig my glasses out. Cause I'm, I'm blind. I'm totally blind. I can't see. I can see like this far in front of me, like an inch from my face clearly. And, um, I put my glasses on and it was this guy that I, you know, knew from support groups and my jaw just dropped, like literally just dropped. And, um, you know, I started crying immediately and he's just like, what are you, what's going on? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm drinking, I'm drinking. <laughs> and, uh, he just, he talked to me, he stopped and talked to me and he actually, you know, he had some like literature, like recovery stuff that he was looking at. And, um, it was just too, too in my face. Like it was a slap in the face. Like if you, I just knew it was, he was there for me as weird as that sounds. I don't know if that's weird, but I, I knew he was there for me. I was like, you need to stop. You need oh, to- she mean, you, you feel like it was a, you know, just a, a rose from the universe. Yep. Like, like higher power. Come grab deal. our, grab our hand. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for those words. Cause yeah, it's, uh, it's hard for me to uh, talk about and explain. I mean, it was really, really like something really impactful I mean, it changed everything. It changed everything. And, um, and I knew, I knew it was over. Um, I didn't know how, obviously I had like a long road in front of me. I didn't know how, but I knew that it was over. And I knew that if I went back to the support group, I would, I would be okay. Like that's where your answer is. Go back over there. Um, he really helped me. He stopped and talked to me for a while and told me about what he did um, and what kind of what his story was. And that gave me a lot of hope. I was like, Oh my God, this is real. Like you're actually doing it. Cause he, you know, he was sober. He had the, like the clear eyes and everything. And I was just at that point, it was like, how do you do that? Like it was a foreign thing to me at that point. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. When we roll in, it's like you see people in support groups that are happy and laughing mm-hmm. and you're like, don't you understand the, 
you can't ever drink or use again. Right. How can you be laughing and smiling? <laughs> this isn't gonna, this isn't good, guys. <laughs> and then before we know it, we're that person that's laughing and smiling. Yeah. And we're talking to somebody that's just rolled in. Yeah. And they oh, have that deadness in their <sighs> eyes. That's the best. And the coolest is getting to see that light come on in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Yep. It really is. I've had that it's, opportunity. I've had that opportunity, and it's. I and I and I tell her that you know I I'm actually good friends with her today, and and she you know I will talk about it. And I'm like God, you know, if I ever lose faith, um, all I have to do is look at you, and it's kind of like. I know God exists. Um, and she I'm says like, that I'm to okay. you, or you say that to I, her. I tell her. Yeah. I'm like, you make me believe in God, basically, like, which is so important in my life. I need that. I have to have that faith. So, uh, yeah. So I don't know. That was my bottom. That was five, five and a half years ago. And like I said, it was, it was all of it. I just knew, I knew how lost I was. It was, you know, it all just kind of hit, it hit me at once. Um, I knew how lost I had been. I knew I was wrong. I knew, I knew I needed help was the thing. You know, I knew I needed help. So, isn't that awesome too? When you ask for help, you ask another human being to help you, and they begin to help you, and you realize it feels good. Yeah, it was what I it was what I needed. God, you know, yeah, exactly. Because for so long, it's just like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna figure this out. Um, <clears throat> and obviously, I couldn't. It almost cost me my life. You know. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I love those people. And I, I went back to counseling, like I said, like in and out of counseling and that, that relationship was really important to me. That was probably the first relationship, um, with my counselor that like, you know, I had a connection with somebody. I had like an actual real connection cause my entire life was just putting on a facade, mm-hmm. um, my whole life, which is crazy. You know, I didn't have, I felt like, I, not even with my parents, I didn't have that connection with my parents. But with this counselor, for some reason, um, I don't know, he listened to me. He cared. He was so patient with me. Because like I said, like I could barely, I couldn't even talk. Like I would sit, I would sit in the chair and I would be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was either I don't know or this is weird. Like this is so weird. <laughs> I love that because I totally identify with that. <laughs> I totally identify with being in therapy and them saying, what are you feeling right now? And I'd say, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. When you've numbed yourself your whole life, yeah. it's so hard to begin to know what it is that you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. He was, and, he, and him and, you know, people in the support group, everybody, you know, the, the patients, I owe, I owe them my life, I swear. And it's just like, and it's all I can do is just try to do it for somebody else. And, um, because they were so patient with me. I don't know how many times I said, I don't know. And I would but, call, I would call people and just sit on the phone. I would call, hi. And that's it. <laughs> like, so, you know, a lot of different people would try to, you know, would ask me questions and start trying to like dig into me. And I started being able to talk. And that's like, that's what, that's where all the healing has taken place for me. The, the communication, being able to like learn how to communicate. Yeah, it's a process. Yeah. It's a slow process, which drugs and alcohol aren't. And I think that's the hardest thing for us is we want something that works right now. Yeah. And that's kind of looking at it 
like a child. Yeah. Is is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? Um, no, I don't think so. Tyler, is there anything you want to share? I have thought of all kinds of crazy shit all my life. And, and so you're not alone. Absolutely not. And also you are an incredibly beautiful person in every way you can take that word. Aww, thank you. So sweet. Yeah, it's really, really nice. Thank you. Thank you both for, uh, for coming and doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And, uh, speaking of PodFest, which is where we recorded that, um, I believe I'm going to be doing PodFest again this year. It's going to be in uh, September, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. Many, many thanks to uh, to Kira and uh, and Tyler. Uh, before we get to um, oh, you know what? I want to I want to read uh, an update I got from her. Uh, I emailed her and said your episode's going up, and uh, she read, "Oh my God!" Uh, hug, laugh out loud. I remember after we did the recording, I kept thinking. Oh, I didn't explain that well, and I shouldn't have said that, and I left this out, and on and on and on. I guess I said what needed to be said at the time. If anyone wants to talk about anything, um, please feel free to give out my email. Um, and by the way, I go through that too. Uh, after I record sometimes, I cringe at the certain things I said or revealed or whatever, and... Um, and a lot of the guests that I record experience that after after we record. And in my opinion, that's a sign that it's a good episode because it it means uh, it means we went deep. Uh, so Kira writes. So I celebrated six years of sobriety in February and remain in gratitude for my sobriety in life. I just got accepted into a school in Maryland and will be starting my Master's of Social Work program in the fall. I'm really excited for this new adventure and opportunity, but terrified as well. Vegas were, was where I was completely broken down and had run out of a will to live. It, will, it was also the place where I was built back up and made into a useful, whole person who knows how to love and be loved through a therapist, support groups, friends, Laura, and my higher power. <coughs> I'm having trouble <coughs> swallowing my own saliva today. That can be a challenge. Great transformations have taken place here. Maybe these things in Maryland, too. Haha. <laughs> Still go to counseling once a week to work through issues surrounding my sexuality and the ever-pervading boundary issues. This last year, I spent a lot of time cursing the institution of marriage and claiming I'm asexual. I know now that for me, those thoughts come from my past experiences, being in relationships I didn't truly want to be in, but felt trapped in them. From the encouragement and support from my counselor, I tried to keep putting myself out there as hard as it is. I actually just started seeing this woman a few weeks ago, and we've really hit it off. And for the first time in about 15 years, I think I may be experiencing what it feels like to really like someone romantically. It feels wonderful. I'm glad I didn't give up on the whole thing. Thank you for that. Um, before we read these surveys, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the show. You can do it financially by going to the website, mentalpod.com, making either a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, signing up to be a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. It's really easy to sign up. And once you signed up, you don't have to do anything. I can just 
let it go until uh, your credit card expires or you decided uh, that I'm full of shit and I'm a monster and you need to uh, cancel your subscription, which should probably happen about a day after you sign up. But for that one day, I milk the shit out of you for five bucks. You can also uh, support the show by buying a t-shirt or a coffee mug there. Um, And you can support us. Oh, and uh, shopping at Amazon through our search portal. It's on our right-hand side, about halfway down on the homepage. And I'm told that it doesn't show up on Firefox. You can support us non-financially by spreading the word through social media. That really, really helps. Or giving us a good review and rating at iTunes. Let's get to it. Uh, This first survey is from Shame and Secrets. And uh, I think that's actually all, pretty much all. Oh, we also have a What Has Helped You survey, but it's uh, we're deep into shame and secrets on this one. This was filled up by a woman who calls herself Gall Pill Martin. How do I not read that one? And I just want to read two excerpts from it. Deep, and she is uh, she's gay and she's in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, darkest thoughts, I silently curse anyone who annoys or pisses me off. One of my go-to phrases is, I hope you fucking die, you fucking fuck. I could be in a pretty good mood, having a conversation with someone and laughing, and then they'll say something super offensive, homophobic, sexist, racist, etc., and I will immediately be filled with hatred. Like I suddenly hate everything from the way they are standing to their haircut, and I would rather jab rusty screwdrivers into my ears than listen to one more word out of their mouth. Sometimes the sound of footsteps or the scent of coffee I'm not drinking produces the same kind of feeling. I used to think about ways I could poison my mother with bleach. Also, replacing her conditioner with Nair because she was so obsessed with the way she looked, and I know that contributed to my low self-esteem, body dysmorphia, and eating disorder. Uh, Deepest, darkest secrets. The summer before my freshman year of high school, I pissed myself during color guard practice. Standing on the blacktop, spinning a flag, surrounded by 40 other girls in broad daylight, I tried to play it off like I spilled my water jug on myself, but everyone knew the truth. To this day, it is the most mortifying thing that has ever happened to me. I began taking things from people's houses when I was probably 9 or 10. I remember the first thing I stole was a small first aid kit from my step-grandparents' house. From then on, at every house I stayed at, I would just take about anything I liked and thought that person wouldn't miss. Uh, and thought that person wouldn't miss. No money or jewelry or anything like that. Once I took my cousin's wallet, which was so awful and stupid, I felt like the worst person in the world. By the way, I just noticed, not rubbing my nipples, I'm pinching my left nipple. What the fuck? Um, I feel like the worst person in the world. Uh, that's me saying that. No, it's her. Uh, I still feel extremely guilty for all of it, and I want to apologize to everyone I stole from, but most of them are no longer in my life. I still struggle with the compulsion, but I've never told anyone about it because I fear they won't trust me. I often house-sit and take care of people's pets and plants while they are away, and instead of taking things, I eat all their food and replace it before they come home. It works. It makes sense to me. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Gall Pill Martin. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Susan. Uh, Her issues, I've lived my entire life with anxiety. It is so frequent in my life that I've grown almost used to it. I get panic attacks uh, at times that are overwhelming. What's helped you deal with them? Nothing helps quite as much as looking at my dog or cat and seeing them trust me, taking care of them and feeling the love they give. 
My dog loves me even if I sleep all day and don't have the energy to comb my hair. Uh, there is no judgment and no holding back of feelings. Uh, having my boyfriend take care of me without guilt or making me feel like he's wasting time on me. He makes me realize how awful my other boyfriend was and how great a partner he is. Thank you for that, Susan. And I will second the notion about um, dogs just loving you, even if you sleep 18 hours a day. Actually, I think they love you more because then you don't make them feel guilty for sleeping uh, 17. This is from the Shame and Secrets uh, survey filled out by a uh, trans male. Uh, for those of you that don't know, that is um, somebody who was born into a female body but who uh, whose brain is is male they identify and see themselves as male um, he calls himself it shouldn't matter uh, he is asexual in his 50s raised in a totally chaotic environment ever been the victim of sexual abuse yes and I never reported it my mother was sexually inappropriate with me when I was a kid and teen and there were others when I was very little, but I only have vague memories of them. I sometimes have huge flashbacks of things that made me disassociate hugely and give me panic, but I can't always understand what I'm remembering. This disassociation and panic convinced me that I was crazy, so I didn't tell anyone because I feared being locked in a metal ward and drugged beyond belief. When I did trust once and share just a little of what I was feeling, the shithead psychiatrist I was seeing put me on Thorazine and told me I would always be disabled psychiatrically, so I needed to give up thinking I would have any other life. Boy, what a dick. Uh, I believed him for two years and then decided that was bullshit. I stopped taking the meds and left. Later, I learned that I had PTSD and not schizophrenia. And I, would do, and I did get better, though it took me 30 years of huge pain and isolation to do it because I did the healing path on my own, being afraid to share anything with a mental health professional ever again. That makes me a little worried to read that because I'm afraid it's going gonna, it's gonna to scare some people off of therapy. But I think one of the things I need to do on this show is, is um, stop trying to, I don't know, feel like I can uh, that I should only present positive experiences with uh, with things and um, anyway continuing uh, he has been physically and emotionally abused my mother regularly beat me with a belt in her fists while I was growing up she only stopped when I refused to cry anymore uh, when she did it I was about 10 my mother also spent my life telling me I was a weird piece of shit and a miscarriage because I was a nerdy kid who also happened to have uh, a female body but felt like a boy. She tried to abandon me several times. She only didn't in the end because she had a fucked up obsessive relationship with her parents and they got angry when she tried. However, she spent even my adult life cutting me off and when accidentally running into me in public, rolling her eyes and acting pissed to have to talk to me. My whole life, I still kept trying to make some relationship with her. It was hugely painful, and a few years ago, I hit a crisis with it after my grandparents died, and I felt I had no one left in my life that loved me even a little. I almost killed myself several times, but finally decided instead to change my phone number so that I didn't have to go to bed every night, knowing in the back of my mind that once again, my mother hadn't bothered to even call. You know, I've got to think too that 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 change that you made was probably hugely trans transformative in uh, in helping you heal. Um, 
Any positive experiences with the abuser? At this point, I can't imagine any. None of it was worth it. Darkest thoughts. When I was younger, I had fantasies about raping women who reminded me of my mother. Sometimes I had sexual feelings for my mother. Both of these further convinced me that I was a freaky piece of shit and deserved to die or be forever locked away in a uh, mental ward. Darkest secrets. Most of my life is a deepest, darkest secret because I'm so convinced that I'm a freak and a weirdo that I still don't really talk about anything in my life. Um, sexual fantasies most powerful to you. The only sexual fantasies I have anymore are of having a penis and being able to have traditional sex with a woman. That's what my brain tells me would be normal and hot for me. But my female body obviously can't comply and trying to use toys just reminds me that I'm fucked up. Um, boy, I, you're so hard on yourself. I wish you could, I wish you could see yourself through my eyes and the eyes of our, um, of our listeners. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my mother that she should have had the courage to dump me when I was a kid, despite my grandparents saying no, so that I could have at least had a chance of growing up with a little less abuse. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I had been born with a male body that matches my male brain, or been born with a female brain to match my female body. Hormones and surgeries aren't an option for me, so I've had to spend my whole life, and will spend the rest of my life, feeling at odds with who I am and where I fit in the world. I can't imagine the burden of that. Um, and I just want to thank our... <coughs> <coughs> Sorry about that. I just want to thank our transgender listeners for supporting us and sharing their stories with us. It's been hugely illuminating to me. And I hope that uh, that you guys... I feel less alone from it. Um, how do you feel after writing this down? I feel sad and alone. I get through life by ignoring my pain. So writing it down or otherwise doing something that reminds me how fucked I feel, uh, how fucked I feel I am feels like opening a can of acid in my chest. That reminds me how fucked I feel. I don't know. I think there might be a something in that sentence I'm not reading right or let's Paul let's let's bog the whole fucking show down while you grammatically analyze what might be wrong and there's our perfectionist angst moment uh is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences after all I've been through I'm still not giving up even when I'm so emotionally overrun I can't imagine why I'm bothering to live this life I don't give up you shouldn't either well that's beautiful. Thank you. Any comments to make the podcast better? Sometimes it seems like there are a lot of violent sexual fantasies and, stu and such. Uh, I understand being able to share those and release the shame of them, but it can be triggering and have the opposite effect sometimes. I have received that, that same notion from some other people, and um, I, I, I feel like trigger warnings would be so frequent um they would kind of lose their effect and i also feel like this is the place where that stuff is going to get shared to help people feel less alone but um i understand i understand what you're saying this is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself parisi and uh his awful moment i'm a new father and am determined to teach my child good values and be as accepting as possible towards him something my parents were not 
This past Christmas Eve, my wife and I signed up to feed the homeless at a local shelter. We took our son along. This did mean that we would miss a family gathering, but we wanted to start our own new family tradition, a tradition of giving back. During a recent fight with my mother over boundaries, she brought this up. I informed her that we would not be coming over now for Easter because we were again going to volunteer our time at a homeless shelter, to which she replied, thanks for ruining our family. My parents have no idea how selfish and emotionally abusive they have been to me, and only recently have I begun to understand this myself. That is such an awesome, awfulsome moment. That that just made me almost giggle and rub my hands together when I read it. Because it's... I love, I love when people who are abusive are so clearly abusive to you that there's no questioning it. And it's almost, it's almost like, it's almost like sinking a great putt in golf. There's, there's just no doubt that it, that it, what it is. This is from the Shame and Secrets filled out by a guy who calls himself Purple Monkey. He is gay. He's in his thirties, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? When I uh, Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was three, a male cousin who was a few years older than me wanted me to play with his penis and vice versa and also penetrate him. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm still not sure he knew what he was doing, but it is one of the few memories I have as a very young kid. Um, and I would say, yeah, if that kid was, was um, fairly... I mean, if you were three and he was five, you know, I... I don't know. I don't think that's sexually abusive. I think that's kids exploring it, but it could still make you feel uncomfortable. And I think that's important to to look at. But on as far as on that other kids, um, now shut up, Paul. You fucking. I'm boring myself. Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, he has been both. My father was an emotional tormentor. He did it well. I was a fat adolescent, and he found that hilarious. His mother really fucked him up, which I found out later in my life, so I kind of get it now. Not that it was ever okay, but at least I now know it wasn't really about me. Um, I lived with extended family most of my preteen years, and my cousin used, cousins used to make me eat sand and kick me in the stomach, not to mention the emotional torture they put me through. Sorry about that. I the theme song suddenly kicked in and I had to uh, had to mute it. Any positive experiences with your bu- your abusers? Absolutely. I was taken on vacation a few times and had fun with those people. And my dad and I would work on our car together. I was always getting confusing messages from the adults in my life. I always just thought I needed to toughen up, stop letting things bother me. So fucked up. Deepest darkest thoughts killing CEOs and people who are ruining the world. I mean, killing them in horrific ways, like torture and those kinds of things. Actually, I'm not ashamed about those thoughts, so I'll admit my thought about wanting to blow most men I meet. That made me feel ashamed and slutty, if I'm honest. Um, Darkest Secrets. When I was about 14, I could disguise my voice and sound like a woman and would call a chat line and have phone sex with straight guys. I felt panic rereading that. No one knows that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think I've mentioned this on the phone before, but I was talking to a girl um, who I was friends with, who I had a huge crush on in high school, and uh, jerked off while I was talking to her. She didn't know. 
Creepy. Creepy. Hope that makes you feel a little bit better. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm a huge voyeur. Most of the best fantasies I have are about watching other people have sex. I would join in if I wanted and when I wanted, but mostly just watch and masturbate. Those will likely change when I start feeling better about my appearance. What if anything, and I wouldn't judge that. I wouldn't judge having that, that, that fantasy, um, and feel like once I feel better about my appearance, that'll go away and then I'll be a better person. So I'd say stop judging that right now. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would love to tell my ninth grade chorus teacher she was right. I should have stopped smoking and gotten serious about using my singing to make a life for myself. She told me I was better than any kid she had and called me a liar when I said I never had a lesson. That is still the best compliment I have ever received. I love that. I love that. What, if anything, do you wish for? Calm evenings with a great man, knowing I am free of financial concern because I do what I love and get paid for it. Have you shared these things with others? No, I am always the ear for others, or was. Now I don't offer my ear because it's exhausting to listen and not be listened to. Fuck them. Well, now I'm telling you, huh? I think it went well. Uh, How do you feel after writing this down? Heard. How odd. Anything you'd like to share with people who share your thoughts or experiences? I'm here too. You matter. Call someone. Say yes more. You're lovable. Um, and then and any comments to make the podcast better? If I may say, I just listened to, I believe, number 144 with listener Seth. I just want to say, I cried with you, Seth. I found your story and willingness to share a huge gift. You are awesome. Thank you so much for that, Purple Monkey. This is an awful moment filled out by um, a woman who calls herself B. She writes, uh, and she's young. She's um, between 18 and 19. Oh, that, that always makes me uncomfortable that I pick that age range because it basically means she's probably 18 and a half. Anyway, or she's 18 or she's 19. Ugh. Perfectionist angst moment number two. She writes, it had been another typically terrible day. Work was a disaster. The guy I had a crush on for one year posted a picture on Instagram of him and another girl with the caption, great day with a great girl. And my younger sister, who received a heart transplant three years ago, was extremely sick. So her and the rest of my family had to make the four-hour drive to the closest children's hospital. Awesome, right? So I arrive home to an empty house. Well, empty for the most part. A couple of weeks ago, we brought home a golden retriever puppy, which, yes, he is adorable, but taking care of him is the worst. And when I get home from this already terrible day, it was time for this puppy to eat. So I get the bowl of food, one cup exactly, and I take it outside to the backyard. It, of course, is raining, but I sit down on the pavement anyway. I set the food bowl, food bowl down, and the puppy smells the food and turns his head in disgust. So I pick up a piece of food from the bowl and feed it to him. He eats it from my fingers like it's the most delicious thing he's ever eaten. So I continue to feed him piece by piece until the entire bowl of food is gone, which has took about 45 minutes. Then finally, after all the food is gone, this puppy and I are just sitting there with the rain falling down around us, and I'm thinking of how terrible this day has been, but also how strangely content I am in this moment. With the rain and the dog and the fresh air, I smile. For the first time all day. Then I turn and look at the puppy and we lock eyes and he gets this disgusted look on his face, opens his mouth and throws up every single piece of food I had just fed him. 
I laughed and then I cried and I thought to myself, what the hell is my life? <laughs> Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Waterproof. He is straight in his 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I'm the youngest of a large family with mostly boys. My older sibling often acted out sex acts but never penetrated. I think that counts as sexual abuse. Kind of sounds like it to me, too. And uh, penetration or lack of penetration is not a litmus test for whether or not something crosses into um, sexual abuse. Um, 99.99% of the time, in my opinion, it is sexually abusive from the moment somebody is an unwilling, um, is is being tricked or coerced um, into into something. Perfectionist angst moment number three. We're, we're on quite a streak. Got a nice sweet streak going here. Uh, he has been emotionally and physically abused uh, by his mother and other siblings. Been being bullied by my brothers and sort of expected being the youngest, but the being bullied and called a retard constantly by my mother and hearing her talk about me and my problems when I thought she couldn't when she thought I couldn't hear her or was asleep hurt the most. My mother was very drug and alcohol dependent, and I don't know how much of her abuse was a result of that. My guess would be a large part of that. Um, any positive experiences with your abusers? There were many positive experiences. Darkest thoughts. I want to kill myself and my brothers. It's usually a fleeting thought, but it gives me anxiety to think such horrible things about people that I do love very much. I feel like I'm a moment away from losing it any day, not like a psychotic break or anything, but acting out on my thoughts of hurting others. Darkest secrets. Deepest secret uh, secrets is that sometimes I look forward to my mother's death. I've attempted suicide multiple times via overdoses of meds and woke up fine. All I could think is, fuck, I'm still here. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, being dominated by multiple women. Not being whipped or abused, because that terrifies me, but being used over and over again by multiple women with no control over the situation. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Why? I just want to understand why you hurt me, and why did I deserve to be treated that way? What, if anything, do you wish for to not be depressed anymore? It's a constant fight, and some days I feel like I'm losing the fight. Have you shared these things with others? Some of it, yes. Other parts, I'm too embarrassed to share with anyone and try to forget that it's real. How do you feel after writing this down? Sad. I want to cry. Anything you'd like to share with people who share your thoughts or experiences? Talk to someone about what's going on with you. There is no shame in being human. We all have emotions. Um, and I would encourage you to to go talk to somebody as well. That's a lot of that's a lot of feelings to to try to hang on to by yourself any comments to make the podcast better can i ring in with the same one as everyone else stop interrupting other speakers same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself ghostwriter she's in her 20s raised in a totally chaotic environment um ever been the victim of sexual abuse some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts she doesn't elaborate um 
She has been both physically and emotionally abused. I feel like wherever I go, the abuse I went through shows and makes me feel like trash or less than everyone. No matter what I do to try to hide it, no matter how expensive my clothes, shoes, and jewelry are, I still feel like a dirty, neglected little girl and everyone can see it. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Yes, I was abused by my mother. Darkest thoughts. I feel turned on when I think about things that make me feel bad and I have no idea why. Darkest secrets. I let a stranger fuck me at an outdoor party. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Getting fucked by a stranger, man or woman. It makes me feel disgusted with myself. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my mother she is the cause of my mental illness, but at the same time, I just let it go because I want to pretend to keep being a normal family. What, if anything, do you wish for a mother figure to share my day-to-day life with? Someone who actually cares about how uh, and what I'm about what I'm up to. Have you shared these things with others? I can only share my feelings with people who have grown up in a similar environment. The only other person who knows exactly how I feel is my sister. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? Scared. Well, Ghostwriter, thank you for sharing that. And we're all sending you some love. And we're going to end with a happy moment from Steph. Uh, She writes, When I was really depressed and at the height of my bipolar episode and illness, I was with my three-year-old niece who got very close to my face and could see tears in my eyes as I was trying to keep it together, which is so hard when you feel so depressed and you can barely get out of bed. And she said, it's okay to be sad. We can still play. Just what I needed to hear at that exact moment and made me realize that a three-year-old just meets you where you need them to and that that is okay. Thanks, Steph. I love that one. And I hope uh, I hope if you guys are out there and you're feeling stuck or alone that you know that there there is help if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and ask for it. Um, and please go support our sponsor, PillPack. Go to PillPack.com slash happy hour. And um, just know that uh, you're not alone, whatever it is that you're going through. And uh, thank you for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely